This morning we're going to focus on Deuteronomy 8, verses 11 through 20. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God, by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest, when you have eaten and are full, and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply, and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions, and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You guys can take a seat. Thanks, Melissa. <clears throat> All right. Well, uh, good morning again. If you're new, uh, my name is Sean. Uh, I am uh, the lead pastor, teacher pastor here for Redemption Peoria. Uh, Redemption Peoria is part of Redemption Church, which is uh, nine different congregations spread throughout the state of Arizona. Each one of those congregations is elder-led and lead pastor-led. So I operate as an elder here, one of five votes with Tim, Vince, uh, Jim, and John, and we lead Redemption Peoria, and that's true for all the other congregations. You might honestly have questions about how that works and why we do things the way that we do. Uh, Myself and some of the leaders will be out in the lobby afterwards to your right as you go out in the cafeteria. Uh, come up and, and say hi or, or ask any questions you might have. Um, also, if you're new, uh, I want to put this in front of you. We feel like the best way to understand the Bible is to go through it verse by verse and chapter by chapter. And so that's what we do. Uh, so if you plan on making this place your home, that's what you're going to see. As a matter of fact, right now we're in the book of Exodus. Uh, we just finished chapter 15, or yep, just finished chapter 15 in the book of Exodus, which is a transitional kind of chapter. It's this song summarizing the first 14 chapters of what we saw and took place in the people of God and what Yahweh did with them. Uh, And and now what we're going to do, instead of transitioning to the back half of Exodus, we're actually going to take a break this Sunday. And the reason I said that we uh, feel like the best way to understand the Bible is verse by verse, chapter by chapter, is because this Sunday we're actually not doing that, but we do believe in it. Um, uh, What we do once a year is we come up up here on uh, on the stage and we kind of set aside a whole Sunday and we do something called the Story of God Sunday. Now, um, what you just heard, that passage there, um, is really important. And I think it, it catapults us in the right direction of understanding what we've even seen with the people of God and what he's been telling them to do correlating to what we're doing now, which it's this. Remember. And we spent a Sunday talking about the importance of remembering. But even as you heard, listen to that. Like if you go back and you listen to that text, he's saying, remember, lest when you find yourself comfortable, when you're satisfied, When you have enough, you go, God who? You you have to constantly remind yourself. And then he goes on to say, because you're going to forget even where you came from. Remember. 
Remember where you came from. Remember what God brought you through. Remember who God is and the story that he's given you. And remember where he's taking you. And if you can do that often enough, then you will be my people. You'll continue to stay on this right trajectory. Now, at its core, what we call this is a worldview. Now, a worldview may be a fancy term, the simplest, and maybe it's an oversimplification. way that we can understand a worldview is to say that the way that we view the world, okay? But honestly, it's more than just that. Uh, every single person in this room has a worldview. Every single person in this room is subject to that worldview. You, you may think, well, I just kind of do me. The reality is you doing you and just acting the way that you want to in an individualistic type mode with consumerism in itself is a worldview, And so what we try to do once a year is we say, how can we remember our story? As a congregation, we want to be reminded of what that is. Let me read a quote to you. Uh, I'm going to be over here, actually, for the most part of today, which we'll get to in a second. Let me read this quote from Leslie Newbegin. I thought this quote is so legit. The way we understand human life depends on what conception we have of the human story. What is the real story of which my life is a part? I can only answer the question, what am I to do? So the only way you can answer the question, what am I to do, is if I answer the prior question, what story am I, part, am I a part of? So the only way you can go, hey, I believe this or I believe that, it's based on a core, deeper conviction. A great example of this is, um, I've explained to you guys, for us as a church to know that um, when I do a wedding, I'll do a wedding, uh, a wedding ceremony for a believer and a believer and a non-believer and a non-believer, never for a believer and a non-believer. And when I do premarital counseling with these non-believers, I ask the same questions that I do for believers, but I get drastically different answers, right? So the first meeting that I get together, I essentially tell them, I'm going to try to talk you out of getting married. That's what I'm going to do in this meeting. Right? In this first session, I'm gonna, and I begin to ask questions, why are you getting married? What's the purpose of life? Why are we even here? Now, I'm trying to get them to dig at something. And for non-believers, and I want to say almost every time, but I can't think of another time, so I'll say almost every time. But every time I can remember, every time, it's always the same thing for somebody who's not a believer. I don't know, happiness? I kind of want to have enough money so I can take care. Like, there's all these kind of answers. When I talk to believers about it, those who are truly following Jesus Christ, their worldview doesn't just demand, like I have to answer this, subconsciously what comes out of them is Jesus. It's about Jesus. As a matter of fact, in this worldview, money could be a hindrance for me. Completely drastic different uh, worldviews in this. And so we need to understand our worldview. We need to understand uh, uh, how we are to operate and where we come from. And we feel like the best way to do that is story. It's narrative. Let me read another quote to you. I don't know if I can keep walking back and forth like this. Um, listen to Mike Goheen. We, we, um, so just so you're aware, we, we believe in this so much that for leaders to be a leader in Redemption Peoria, they have to go through a five-week class on the narrative of Scripture. They have to know the story of God. And we use a book uh, by Mike Goheen. It's called The Drama of Scripture, The True Story of the Whole World. And it says this, In order to understand our world, to make sense of our lives, and to make our most important decisions about how we ought to be living, we depend on some story. In fact, a story is the best way of talking about the way the world actually is. So here's what we're going to do today. We want to remind ourselves of our story. And maybe for the first time you go, I think I kind of know the story of God, and you're going to get to hear it. But maybe some of you have heard it enough, and you go, yeah, 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 I, I get it. Uh, we do something different on, this, uh, on these Sundays to kind of jostle our memory. Uh, and so here's the story that we believe. We believe there is four big acts. You can argue there's kind of six acts, but I'll explain that in a little bit. 
Four big acts to our story. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Now, these big four acts are what you saw when you walked in the, the, in the paintings. Now, here's um, why we have those paintings out there. And here's why in a second I'm going to introduce you to um, my man Arnold. It's because um, some of you grew up in church and some of you know this story really, really well. And you're like, yeah, 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 creation. Yeah, 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 fall. Yeah, 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 redemption. Yeah, 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 restoration. And so what we do is we allow an artist to come in and say, hey, take this. How do you see the story? And so the month of October has historically been for us, historically, it's our fifth time, uh, that we walk through what the story of God is through arts. Uh, Ren and Josh are the ones who are running with this. And so um, I'm going to introduce you to Arnold, but before I do, here's what I want to say. Um, we decided that like the fifth, the fourth or fifth time we do these Story of God Sundays, um, we're not going to have someone from our congregation do it. So up to this point, the four uh, paintings, the four stories that we've seen have come from people in our congregation. Now, um, we feel like this is important because on these fifth years, every fifth year that we have somebody come in from the outside, most likely they're not going to believe like us. As a matter of fact, there's points where we're gonna, I'm going to uh, reach out to non-believing artists for even just moments of evangelism, non-believing artists and go, here's our story. How would you paint our story? Okay? And the hope would be that we're not just in this echo chamber, but we hear from other people. And so I've got a good buddy, Gavin, who's an Anabaptist here in Peoria. And I said, hey, dude, like, who do you have that you would be great? Like, we're trying to reach out outside of our walls. Who would you have to, to help us? And he introduced us, uh, introduced myself, and then to the rest of our staff, to a guy named Arnold. So if you guys can give it up for Arnold, Arnold's going to come out here. So before we get started, you're super jacked to speak in front of people. That's what I... This is my comfort zone. Yeah, right. <laughs> As most artists, he's like, let's do this. Um, okay, so before we even get to the story, as we just, I kind of, you heard me unload there, kind of uh, worldview. First, you have a style. You have a story yourself. Just, can we take a couple minutes to talk about that? What was your upbringing like? What can we know about you? What's important for us to be aware of? Uh, so, yeah, my quick, like, 30-second yeah, testimonial. Yeah. Uh, 15 years ago... Uh, things weren't going so well for my little family and me, so I, I said a prayer uh, one one morning. I said, "Jesus, if you're real, you can have my life." Yeah. Don't know where I even got those that language from, but yeah. like immediately I knew God was real. Yeah. And, and did you grow up in church at all? Your family? No, we didn't. We no. didn't go to church. Okay. We we were believers. I okay. Guess, if you asked us, but. And you said at breakfast the other day when you first got saved, it was in uh, traditionally Reformed church. The. Yeah, yeah. I, I lived in a cul-de-sac with a pastor of an RCA church, Reformed yeah. Church America, so right away I got yeah. some really solid <clears throat> theological foundation. And yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. And then you left us, but you'll return like the prodigal son. Uh, yeah, I'm That's here. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, so um, talk a little bit, a bit just about your art style. I love it personally, um, totally dig it. It's different. What kind of got you to get where you are in drawing and painting and graphic design and all that? Yeah, I did so... My style is really illustrative, kind of cartoonish. Grew up Mad Magazines, comic books type thing. And uh, so anytime a teacher got an assignment from me, it just had cartoons written all over it. Classic. Yeah. And, um, and so I, I have be, uh, recently, you know, stepped out and do some painting. But for this one, it was definitely illustrative. I used, uh, I'm a graphic designer by trade, so I used computer for a lot of the coloring and stuff. So. Okay, cool. Uh, and you just did some artwork for downtown Peoria. Um, mm -hmm. And like the, we painted the intersections there, different groups painted. You had one whole mural just for yourself, right? Yeah, I teamed up with a group called Denson Creative, and we did a mural there on one of the intersections. 
Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, so um, let's go through the story, right? Okay. So here's, here's how this is going to work if, if you haven't been with us one of these Story of God Sundays. Uh, I'm just going to briefly explain each one of these acts. Um, I'll share a verse that I think is important for us to be aware of. I'll share a quote that I think is important for us to be aware of. And then um, kind of just give the bullet points of that. And then we're going to go, okay, Arnold, how do you see that? Okay, so let me read something from you uh, for you from Revelation chapter 4. Keep this in mind. This is at the end of the Bible. At the end of the Bible, this is what it says in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. Stop, okay? So here, here's this first section. The declaration is, worthy are you, God, to receive glory, honor, and power. Worthy are you. And this next word is important, for. So usually when you have that for, you go, okay, this is why we're giving God glory. This is why we're giving him honor. For you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. That verse is fascinating, and the reason we share it on these Sundays is because there's a recognition at the end of time of all the things that that God did, even through the man Jesus Christ, and all of that going on, there's this moment in the book of Revelation where it goes, yeah, but remember creation? Creation's amazing. Amazing. So here's what we believe in our worldview, what took place in creation. Before there was anything to make anything. You have to understand, you can make things right now, but to make something, you need things to make it, okay? So Arnold didn't like, he wasn't able to just make something out of nothing. That's not a gift set he has, right? I don't know, yeah, okay? And so, so, so here's, here's why this is important. God makes things to make things. He makes these things and he creates all that we know of life. He puts the, the stars in the sky, the planets. He creates the earth, the clouds. He creates the sea, the animals. And eventually he comes along and he makes man. And in making man, he makes him distinctly different from the rest of creation in that he now, you and I, bear God's image. And so in this moment, it's this explosion of creativity, this explosion of color. And there's this kind of outside of times that we can recognize that God is who he is. And what I find interesting about that is, even according to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and Colossians 1, 15 through 20, we're reminded that it's through the word of God... That God speaks all these things into creation, but we're told that Jesus is his word. So Arnold, if you were to display this moment in all of creation and have blown up our first act in our worldview, this is what it would look like. So let's throw it up and kind of walk us through um, how you picture this, uh, why you did what you did, and and we'll kind of go through this. So go ahead. Okay, uh, so it's about a year ago I heard the term cosmic Christ, and I started sketching out a little like Jesus in in an astronaut suit. Uh, just the first thing that came to mind, and some of my friends were at Axiom, like, hey, you gotta, you got to you know, illustrate that, make a sticker out of it, or whatever. Yeah. Know, just kind of. And so the idea of the cosmic Christ is that something that you've probably taught a hundred times is that Christ isn't actually Jesus' last name. He's the embodiment of the Christ. He was forever and will be forever. Yeah. And uh, everything contains Christ's yeah. Christ power and spirit. And so I have my visual representation of the cosmic Christ, Kind of uh, creating the Earth there, in um, the planets, and yeah, that's good. I, I like what you you kind of pointed out something about him in the suit because it shows his mortality. And- yeah, I love that you chose to use Jesus here. Which, if you're not familiar with the cosmic Christ term, which Arnold, I told Arnold the other day, I don't love. It comes from there's certain parts of this that are tied to theological nuances that. Um, I, yeah, I'm particularly fond of. But besides that, I love what Arnold is thinking through because here's, here's what, what I think when I saw this. I said, it's interesting because immediately you can begin to see um, shadows of Christ's human, uh, humanity. 
Like Superman doesn't need an astronaut suit in space. Neither does Jesus, right? But there's almost this nod from the jump of creation. Not only is he creating, but he's part of creation, which I thought was pretty fascinating. Um, Yeah, anything else in this uh, piece that you want to point out at all? Well, just to say, like, some filters, I used lightened them up a bit, so I apologize for the... How white Jesus is? Yeah, the Catholic... It's kind of like the... It's kind of the emoji Jesus. It kind of applies to all races. Yeah, I tried tried to give him olive skin and different past paintings, and it kind of looked green, so... Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. Don't even worry about it. Um, I'm not mad, no. Um, No, no, just kidding. So this is great. Okay, so this first image of Jesus... um, through the, the, the word of God, through the word of the Father, Jesus uh, is the means in which all things are created, which is really, really beautiful. So we have this image, right? Um, and I, I, I'm excited to kind of wait till you see all four of them, because then there's that one thing that, uh, image we want to show with all four of them together uh, to tie some of the stuff together. Um, so here's what we have. In this moment, what we can recognize is all things are good and perfect and in order. You have to understand, in Christ here, like, as God makes all things, in him making all things, he doesn't make them out of order. Things are in perfect harmony. What happens is, those beings, humans that he made in his image, choose not God. And I say this every time we go over this. It doesn't matter what they chose. They chose not God. And because of that, there's just this fallout, this breaking down. Let me read this uh, verse to me in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. It says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So here's what we have. Because they chose not God, sin enters in. Because sin enters in, brokenness enters in. Because brokenness enters in, there's a fallout of death. I love what uh, Al Walter says about this in his book, Creation Regained. He says this, we see that the fall affects the whole range of earthly creation. That sin is a parasite on, not a part of creation. And that to the degree that it affects the whole earth, sin profanes all things, making them worldly, secular, and earthly. Consequently, every area of the created world cries out for redemption and the coming of the kingdom of God. So his point is this, every single part that you experience, there's an element of brokenness. Hear me, the way you love your spouse, there's elements of brokenness. The way you care for your children, there's elements of brokenness. We went fishing yesterday and I have four children, two older boys and two younger girls, okay? My older boys are 11 and nine. Oh, that scared me, wow. Um, um, I'm talking about, I thought, Anna, you're so used as a parent. I'm like, Anna, just wait. Um, here's the deal. We catch five fish. My older boys who should be catching the fish catch zero fish. The three-year-old and the six-year-old catch all the fish. That's not the way it's supposed to be. The world is broken. Now that's a comical way. That's a comical way to look at it, but the reality is there's all these, there's murder and there's rape and there's molestation and there's injustice. And we look at this and as we process these things, we can't help but make sense of it. And hear me, because you're not supposed to, you were never supposed to die. You were never supposed to experience brokenness. That's a parasite on creation. Sin is doing that. And so what we have is Adam and Eve in this moment change the game for humanity. And so, Arnold, let's see your picture and how you depict this moment of how Adam and Eve choose not God. Go ahead and explain that for us. Yeah, this is, there's not too much hidden symbolism in here. It's yeah. really the story of Adam and Eve um, and the serpent, apple. I mean, we know the story. I want to I wanted to make a point to have two hands reaching up because, yeah, you know, I know 
infallible word and everything, but yeah. we, we talked about the story's been told for thousands and thousands of years before it was ever written down by men, so there might be a little slant there to make us look a little better oh, in the story. I don't, so, I don't like where you're going there, but okay, that's good. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, and, uh, yeah, and then this, this basically just um, this starts... It kind of flows into the next scene, actually. Yeah, a little, yeah. A little better. Than well, that. you talked about two different hands. I think it is important. There's always this ongoing joke of Eve took the apple, Eve took the apple, which is all true there. Yeah. But also there's a recognition of the first person that God goes to is Adam, right? So both participate in this brokenness, which I think is important, if you want sure. to speak into that at all. But yeah, I think that's huge. Why different color hands there? Is this just a reason art, art-wise you just did it or... Yeah, when they were both the same color, it looked like two hands reaching up by the same person, so I kind of changed it. To... Yeah, one just a gigantic hand and the other yeah. is smaller. A lot of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lot, it is, it is uh, you know, a lot of it is composition and yeah. for aesthetics. That's fair. Okay, cool. So we have the fall. Things are broken in this moment. This starts a whole domino effect of the way that things shouldn't be. And then what we have is a response. Now, it's important. Um, usually we can talk about, and we talk about this with the leaders, actually the story, instead of being four acts, can be six acts. Because the rest of your Bible, this is just Genesis 3. From Genesis 4 till the end of the Old Testament, you have this long, long story of Israel. And so there's this kind of story of Israel in there, and they just can't get it right over and over. We see the effects of that brokenness. And then what we have is God responds to this brokenness. God steps in, and here's what we know. God is absolutely just. So, so I think everybody sees this. Let's go back to the kid idea, right? Everybody sees a kid who's not disciplined or, or like they're just running around and the parents don't care at all. You look at that parent and you go, you're not doing a good job, right? Like you don't care. Uh, you judge them in that moment. There's a sense of that's not the way that it's supposed to be, right? And at the same time, you recognize, but they're also giving mercy. There's this element of how do we, how do we rectify God being an all-loving, this merciful God, and yet at the same time, he, um, he brings justice. And what he does, what we believe in our worldview, in our story, is he brings that justice on himself, That's what he does. That's how he solves this problem that Adam and Eve create. Uh, Let me read a verse to you uh, from uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. It says this, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. What I love about this is what we find in the man Jesus Christ is a bringing back together of the broken shards that the fall brought. He, he, he puts in front of us this idea that I'm going to restore all things. We actually sing this song, this tune from Isaac Watts. It says this, no more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found. So I want you to think of how deep um, the brokenness goes right now. Like you could think of the ways in your own life. Think of the way that the parasite of sin has, in, has attached itself to your life. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's marriage, maybe it's kids, maybe it's your neighbor, the way you feel about your neighbor, maybe it's your extended family, maybe it's your friends. I want you to think of all those things, right? Every small nook and cranny, the grace of God has entered through the man, Jesus Christ. And he embodies uh, not just the fullness of God, according to Colossians 1, 15 through 20, as we talked about, but he embodies this perfect image of mercy and justice. And so now we have in Jesus this new image flowing from him, 
flowing from the man Jesus Christ, a whole new way of life. So Arnold, if you were to display that, let's take out your picture and, and hear what you have to say. I chose this image for redemption, and it was um, Christ pouring water to wash the disciples' feet. And I just think that that night was one of the most significant nights in the history of the universe. Um, it's the same night Jesus told them that, you know, if you're looking at me, you're looking at the Father. It told yeah. them, you know, when, when Paul said, or Peter, I forget, said, you know, you're not going to wash me. And he's yeah, like, you, you know, you better let me wash you because yeah. you're not going to have a hope. And so, and I thought, too, that, you know, on that same night when he's revealing himself uh, more to the apostles, that he's revealing a, just a nature of God that, they, that the world hadn't considered, and that is not a God that, that you know, desires the yeah. violence and, and sacrifice, but a servant God that, yeah. that, that the, the God that separates our God from every other God. Yeah, it is a fascinating thought if you think about Philippians chapter 2, that the creator of the universe becomes comes as a man but not just a man he could have came as like conan the barbarian this crazy like yeah. just destroying everyone but he comes and then he he takes this posture of a servant he takes this posture this little where he's washing his disciples feet though he's their leader though he's their master uh there's this element of this and i love that we see this kind of lowly jesus uh that he uh he came in and he changed the game not through forcing of power but through giving himself up which i think is is beautiful um anything else you want to add to that I left his outer clothing on. That's good. Good call. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. you read this. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's go to the fourth one because I want us to see these four uh, images side by side. Not, don't show the picture yet. So here's what we have. Um, now we begin to move into um, what the world is going to be like. Not what it has been like, but what it's going to be like. And this is where I get super jacked. I always reference this book. If you ever want to think through how you need to teach your kids or how you need to teach yourself, how the end of the world is going to be and what eternity is going to be like, I always recommend Randy Alcorn's book, Heaven. Um, because this book, I think, gets at the, the nuances of recognizing we're not just wings floating around singing praise. But, I mean, the reality is like, you're going to still create. You're going to make. You're going to be able to work, and it's not going to be difficult. You're going to be able to love, and it's not going to be missed. There's going to be these elements that we continue, as John Dell, who says, we can just uh, spiral upwards for billions of years. Like, this is going to be amazing to think, how, what, would, what would, like, Max look like without sin? Like, what would sport look like without sin? What would family look like without sin? We will move in this direction. Let me read this verse to you in Revelation chapter 21, verse 5. This is the end of our Bibles. It says this, And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he, uh, also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. There's two points I want you to make uh, of this. We do not believe that at the end of days, God is going to look at the earth that we saw in that first image, and he's going to just scrap it, throw it away, and start a new earth. I feel like that's a bad theology, this escapism that some of you and myself included were taught. But rather, he's going to take the earth that we have now. He's going to refine it. Second Peter says by fire, refine it. And the way that you see this world, hear me, even Randy Alcorn argues, argues as crazy as this sounds, the Romes, the Italys, the Americas, even the Canadas of this world are going to still be in existence. But we'll see those places without sin. That's crazy. That's crazy that we participate in something now that has eternal effects. And so the second thing that I want you to know is, listen to what he says to John. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. If you don't have hope here this morning, if there's anyone to hope in and believe what they say, it's God. 
When Jesus says, bet, bet I'm coming back, bet I make all things new, bet. When he says this and he declares this, it's not a foolish, maybe it's going to happen. It's going to happen. He's going to restore all things. I love what Anthony Hokema says. He says this, the kingdom of God does not mean merely the salvation of certain individuals, nor even the salvation of a chosen group of people. It means nothing less than the complete renewal of the entire cosmos, culminating in the new heaven and the new earth. And so now we cry for something that's inside of us to the way that things will be. We hope that uh, one day we'll be able to see creation restored. We'll be able to live outside of the confines of time. We'll be able to understand who God is fully. And so with that, we have a hope in this future uh, glory that Jesus has given us in the kingdom of God. Arnold, let's look at your image and kind of walk us through why you chose what you did. Well, I chose the common symbol of lion and lamb, which I think, you know, it's, it's symbolic for the time when we'll have no sin. Um, I also added uh, an hourglass with the sand stuck to the top because we're not going to have to worry about time. Um, and I was, we were talking about the, the idea of this, this land with, with the earth with no sin or living with no sin. And it's, it's really, I mean, even if I was a photorealistic painter, we, we wouldn't even begin to scratch the surface, which yeah. I noticed a lot of the other artists throughout the years kind of alluded to. It's just incomprehensible. Yeah. And we talked about, I have four kids too. And so we were at coffee talking about the series, and I thought, you know, like when my wife says, oh, I'm going to take, you know, i got to go to the grocery store. And the first thing I think about is, okay, uh, my little one's nine, Rylan, I'd say, okay, just, you know, make sure you're holding her hand. There's big trucks out there. She's little. Yeah. Um, and just all that subconscious worry we have, even sitting there with you, and I'm like, I know i got to be at work at nine. Like, just to have that removed from our reality yeah. would, would be, you, you couldn't even explain. Yeah. Yeah. And so this, it's just... Yeah. All we can do is allude to it. So uh, I want to do this with this image in mind. Can we put the image of all four paintings, uh, uh, images up there? So I want to show you something here because I think this is kind of the, uh, the best part of what Arnold did. This is my opinion. Obviously, art is so subjective at times, although my opinion is always the right one. Um, so so there, there's, there's something that I want you to see that I thought um, speaks really well to what Arnold did and I think we can miss. Um, when we talk to somebody as we sit down as a couple, okay, let's say you meet a couple for the first time at church and you, you begin to see that they really love each other. The inevitable first question that you'll always ask this couple, and I, I know we never do this, but let me throw it out here. What's the first cu- cu- uh, question you'll ask that couple? How'd you meet? We inevitably... We inevitably want to know how they are, who they are through their story. And because it's a story, as we're going back to the, the, the jump and what we talk about, this narrative, we begin to understand them a little bit more. What we don't do is when we sit down and go, so give me some reasons why you love him. Why do you love her? Maybe you get to that someday, maybe in counseling or whatever it is, but you go, why? Like you don't ask those separated parts. And when we see this story, it's important for you to recognize a few things that, that uh, Arnold and I were talking at breakfast. I'll point out a few, Arnold, then if you want to jump. The first thing I want you to notice is this is one big story. We have um, something called exegesis in scripture. It's my job on Sunday or whoever's speaking's job on Sunday to look at a passage and go, what is this passage saying? And certain scriptures have something called an inclusio. I've used that word before. An inclusio is actually the Sermon on the Mount is a big inclusio. The way that Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount and the way that he finishes the Sermon on the Mount are these bookends. And everything in it is meant to be understood with this big sermon. Well, what I love what Arnold did is he put these little, like, what do you call them? I'll call them twinkles. Is that fair? Yes. Stars. Um, 
to remind us that this, these are bookends. This is one story. It's not that Jesus, if you can see those twinkles around Jesus, these twinkles around the lion and the lamb. I feel weird calling them twinkles, but these stars, right? Whatever they are, is this inclusio. It's one big story, which I think is, is fascinating. Um, I'll just keep going, Arnold, and then you can just tell me where I'm wrong here. Also, I want you to notice, and this is something that we talked about at breakfast and over the phone. I want you to just look real closely. Look how the, the images tie together. Do you see that the, the apple is the planet? Do you see how the planet turns into the hair, the hair turns into the water? Do you see that? These images, this story is meant to be seen together. So in your worldview, you live in a certain place, a certain time. Right now, we are, if I can go here, we're right here. We're where Jesus started. Jesus started this work in him being a servant. And that starting will continue on for the rest of creation. But here we are. We're this dark line. We believe that Jesus is real. Um, we, we, we know that we've experienced him in part, but one day we will experience the fullness of what he has done. And I love that these images tie together. Did I miss anything on there, Arnold, that you want to point out? No, I think that you pretty much covered it. Yeah. I, think it really... I love, too, the fading of the colors yeah. and, and, the, and the background as well. Um, yeah. Nothing? Well, I just it reminds me, I had a friend, DJ Rose, he, he's in upstate New York, and I was reading an interview. Our incredible artist uh, came to Christ late in life, and all his art now is just to glorify God. Yeah. And they're asking him why, and he said, because I believe the story of Jesus is the only story worth telling. Yes. And that yes. sounds like, you're like, whoa, hold on, that's a little. But, yeah, when you, when you contemplate it, when you're in the Word, when you're, you know, then you're like, yeah, it is the only yeah. story worth telling. What I found fascinating with our story, if you're a believer in here and you, you hold to the Christian worldview, what I find fascinating is if you can sit down and begin to write out other worldviews, right? Whether it be Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, not just religions, but the, the, uh, the narrative of consumerism, the narrativeism of individualism, uh, the American ideal, whatever it is. As you write those down, eventually what happens is, and this is just my observation, they start real big. Like big hopes. Like if you had all this money or all this fame or whatever it is, you could be Instagram famous or whatever it is, you have these big hopes. But what happens with all the worldviews is inevitably they get smaller and they end up letting you down. What I find fascinating about our worldview is Jesus is calling you to die to yourself. And that feels like, okay. Like it feels like, yeah, I'm going to die. And it's not easy. But nothing can match that fourth image. At the end of days, nothing brings hope like, no, 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 no. Whatever you're promising me, it can only let me down. It can only be a letdown compared to what I'm promised at the end of days, which I find fascinating because it is a story worth telling. I think it gets at uh, uh, something that's deep within us that, that, that's there. Let me show you guys this. Uh, this is a way if you want to. We're asked every single time we do these images, can I purchase these images or whatever they are. Uh, this is a place. This is how you can do it. If you go to redaz.in forward slash Arnold, it supports him uh, and what he's doing. Uh, and, and you can purchase those, those gifts, not just the gifts, but also a shirt if you wanted, right? I think is the same way you can purchase the shirt on there. Yeah, it's yeah. ultimately like a red bubble store okay. where, you, where you buy all your stickers for your Hydro Flask. Okay. I don't know what that is, but that sounds good. <laughs> um, I want to pray for you. Uh, can we give it up for Arnold real quick? Thank you. Just, if you can, think like what it would be like to even, you know, his wrestle as he continues to grow theologically and spiritually, his own story, uh, to come into an environment where him, we know that we don't agree on everything, but having the opportunity to share how he sees that story, there's a moment of vulnerability that I think I want to recognize, which I really do appreciate, man. I know I'm sure that's not easy to do. We agree like 98. Yeah, 98, 95% for sure. 92% is good for sure. 
Let me pray for you, uh, just that God would continue to use you in this way, and then, uh, then we'll be done. Uh, Father, thank you so much for uh, Arnold. Thank you that, um, yeah, you've gifted him in a really, really cool way, a way that a lot of us couldn't touch. Um, Maybe an ongoing joke for those who aren't um, art inclined, but we, we um, wouldn't know how to draw stick figures or, or listen to certain pieces of music, um, speaking poetry, whatever it is. There's elements that you've wired your body in a beautiful, beautiful way. And I, I know that we're just really grateful for Arnold. We're grateful that you've gifted him in the way that you have, that um, now he got to uh, come up here and tell your story that you put in his, in his mind and his heart and display it in that way. So we're grateful for that. I pray that you would remind us as a congregation of this story. Hopefully his work now inspired something within us that moved us to go, yes, this is my story. This is my worldview. Help us hold on to that, hold fast as we remember who you are. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give it up one more time for Arnold? Thanks, brother. You can take a seat. Thanks, man. So here's, how we're, uh, here's what we're going to do to close. We are going to move into a time of response, as we always do. Uh, uh, I will say this. Uh, we're going to respond as individuals now and, and take a moment of uh, silence, and we're going to respond as a congregation. But afterwards, when it's all said and done, Arnold will actually be over by his images. Maybe you saw something on there, and you're going, I saw this, right? That's the beauty of art. Uh, ask him about what he did. But not only that, uh, John Demeter worked really hard. If you kind of look past those uh, images that are there today, you'll see the past work that uh, our artists have done, and Emery that you, you, we uh, have up there, Aletheia, uh, Adela, all those uh, past works of four years in a row that we've done. So just kind of check those out as well. Um, and again, if you have questions about some of that, I think uh, Ren is the only one here. You can ask Ren. She'll be able to answer for ev- all the artists. I have no idea. Um, so uh, let, let, me, uh, let me pray for us. And then what we're going to do is we're just going to be, and here's the hope as we're just being quiet. Um, I want you to ask, in what ways is the way that your life is, um, moves forward and the way that you walk in your life, how is it not congruent with that story? So, so maybe you believe something politically that comes out of a subconscious place of your worldview. That's making you decide things. So begin to go, okay, how, how am I living? That's not congruent with that story, with that worldview. And then from there, let God do what only he can do. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. He'll begin to guide you. He loves you desperately. He wants you to continue to live into this story because ultimately that's where you'll find your most joy. So let me pray for you and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll take some time to be quiet. Father, thanks so much for who you are. Thank you that in your goodness and your grace you have given us a story that we're a part of. Uh, I know I'm grateful and I'm sure many of us in this room as a church, we're grateful that the story of the world is not just our story. That would be so lame and so short and so empty and hollow, but we get to tie ourselves to a bigger meta narrative and that's your story. That Jesus now, because you came as a servant, we ourselves are servants. Because you restored and will restore all things, we get to live into reconciliation as ministers of hope, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Thank you so much for that. We're grateful for that. We love you. As we take some moments to just be, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would convict us. You would encourage us. Show us ways that we're not living congruent with the story that we have in front of us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.